Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Anne Friedman. On this week's agenda, we're easing our way back with books that we love. I was dying to talk to Bolu Babalola about her new book, Love in Color. My name is Bolu Babalola, and I am the author of Love in Color. Hi, Bolu. It's nice to talk to you. Hi, how are you? I am doing great. Um, It's cold in New York, but the sun is out, and my entire personality depends on how the sun is. So (laughs) I'm great today. I mean, yeah, exactly the same, which is why I'm in Lagos and have been since December. I came just before lockdown in the UK, and I was like, I'm I'm just not going to go back. I my my seasonal depression has lifted. (laughs) I am not going to revert. I'm not going to go back till the spring. Um, I'm so jealous you're in Lagos. Please eat something delicious and do do all of the West African (laughs) activities for me. I will do it for you. (laughs) Every time I look at your Instagram, I have to put my phone down because I'm happy for you, but I get a little upset. You know what I'm saying? I know. I totally get it. But I will have I'll have some pounded jam for you for lunch today. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, done and done and done. Um, also, Bolu, congrats on the publication of your book, Love and Color, that is now also out in America. The book is an anthology that features all these, um, you know, stories of self-love, love at first sight, and it's, you know, like very Black stories. And yeah. the thing that I love about it is that, um, you know, in this anthology, you are flipping all of the stereotypes and patriarchal structures that usually come with the fairy tale and romance and romance genre. And, yeah. uh, you know, and obviously that was a very deliberate choice because you are you are someone who is, uh, you know, I think it's fair to call you a rom-com connoisseur. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I think that you do that with such joy, but also are you're very skeptical, obviously, of the romance trope. And so I am just like really curious about your process when you um, when you like set out to, to write this anthology. Thank you. So I really wanted it to be kind of an homage to like romance as a genre, rom-coms in general as a genre. But I also just wanted to avoid all the things that irritated me as somebody who's veteran of the genre because, you know, there's so many critiques from people who don't respect the power of romance and the power of rom-coms, but I do. But I also wanted there to be space to critique and um, kind of distort our expectations. So that was very deliberate of me. So when I was going through the original stories like the Sia's Sia's story, for example, which is a story about, you know, a woman who leads an army to save her people. That original story was, um, and her love interest is her kind of special advisor, second in command. Um, That original story was, Sia was literally a damsel, well, described as a virgin, of course, damsel in distress. And Maddie was like this brave soldier who was meant to save her from being sacrificed. There was so much in that story about sacrifice and love of people. And I was like, I don't want to lose that, but I do want to like 
reimagine what that can look like in a world where men and women are equal. Um, so yeah, it was very imagine sort of that. something. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> so beyond anything. So yeah, it was actually just like a an exercising kind of paying homage to the roots and the, the themes of the original stories, but also just updating them just a little bit um, to make them what I think should be realistic expectations of romance and love. It's interesting when when you were starting your previous question, you were talking about the people who don't respect the power of, um, of yeah. romance and rom-coms. And I'm just wondering, like, what is the power of romance and rom-coms? I think it's just... I'm like, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> okay, so I can only speak for me and also kind of what resonates with people when I speak about my love of rom-coms. Because I feel like when I speak about rom-coms, people are like oh my God, this is what I've been trying to articulate to people who put it down. And for me, it's like, obviously hope and joy, but also just how like beautiful the the feeling of connecting with somebody is. And that feeling of being seen, I think is so special because we all want to be seen. And I think romance is such a, uh, a lovely prism for that to be um, expressed and, and shown. And it shows the vulnerability of humans, the strength of humans, and how like embarrassing it can all be, and it's, I think it it shows the the beauty of us as as humans and our and our connections. Mm. Um, you know, so many stories in this genre specifically focus so much on when when they're about black people and when they're about black couples. It a mm. lot of it focuses on suffering and adversity. And that's a trope that, like, usually for me, I'm like, I am turned off. Like, you don't need to suffer all the time. Thank you. Um, Exactly. But, you know, but it's definitely something that you made a really conscious choice to sidestep. And so I, um, you know, I would love to hear you talk more about that. Like, what was so important about changing that narrative? I think for me, it was it was almost like a very natural choice because in the kind of things that I personally am drawn to and kind of media that I seek, I see things with happy endings and things that are positive and things that make me feel good. I like finishing a book or finishing watching a movie and going out into the world with a renewed sense of hope and a, a rarefied sense of joy or that the, the idea that joy can be found. And so that was something that I wanted to write in it and wanted to create in my work. Um, with Loving Color, there's the, the characters are obviously black women. And when we see black women in particular in media, it's not, they're not showing the, our many dimensions. It's like we're very super, super strong, hyper strong and built for suffering. We're not allowed tenderness. We're not allowed softness. We're not allowed vulnerability. Um, and it's just, we're not allowed love. And we're not allowed um, to be empowered by our desire. You know, we're victims of our desire or we're hypersexualized. And for me, it wasn't so much about combating that because obviously that is all fallacy. It was just about writing us as how we are and um, how we exist anyway. Um, so it wasn't about like, you know, fighting racist tropes. It was just about just showing us as we are and, and how we exist and how we live um, through the world and how we navigate the world naturally. Hearing you talk about it, it's obviously so, it's such a like, duh, like so simple moment, right? Like we are, yeah. who, who doesn't want to be seen? Who doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't like, who doesn't want all of these things? And then, and then you look at just 
hundreds of, you know, like hundreds of years of writing that tell you otherwise, you know, and, and so much exactly. of that has to do with the, the gatekeeping and whose stories are allowed to be told and who, you know, like who's doing the storytelling and all of that. And so there's something cathartic for me about hearing you say that because it does sound really simple. And at the same time, I know how much of a battle it is for these kinds of stories to even be allowed to exist. Exactly. We're just just disallowed it. And it's like if the media is not portraying that, who are they saying deserves love and who are they saying is deserves romance? You know, it's it's really an insidious thing that's very deliberate. And what's insidious about it is that they make it seem like it's natural, like it's normal, like the face of romance should be, you know, a skinny, white, blonde lady. To be fair, skinny, white, blonde women are some of my best friends. And uh, I, mean, I yeah. love them. <laughs> Same. The editor for Loving Color was a skinny, white, blonde lady, actually. Love you, Katie. Totally. Totally. No, but Jenny Han was on the show a couple of like weeks ago, and it's something that she has also spoken out about. You know, this, this notion that, um, you know, like we grew up as um, people who are not white, experiencing mostly white media, but mm. we we learned about romance and we learned about friendship and we, you know, like we, we took the key takeaways away from that. Yeah. And so the idea that an all white audience cannot see people who are not white and also understand that it's a love story or that it's, I, I just, I find that very reductive and also very ridiculous. You know, exactly. like, sorry. this is like, not, my- it's just, it's very insulting to everyone involved in this equation. So insulting. I mean, my favorite rom-com is like When Harry Met Sally, which is, I mean, Meg Ryan is a skinny white blonde lady and it's one of my favorite movies and I love it so much. And it's about love is a universal thing. Um, and so, but again, we only see one type of person receiving it in the romantic context in media normally, um, in mainstream media. So what is it really saying about who deserves it, you know? Oh man, I just rewatched that actually with um with a, a younger person in my life who had never seen it before. And uh, their commentary was so good about it because they were like, I'm sorry, in what world does a Harry get a Sally? Like, are you I kidding know, me right it's now? so ridiculous. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm glad that the kids are not conditioned the way that we are. I was like, thank you. I, I was know. Like, you, you are understanding the scam of this movie from the jump. I am scarred from this it's movie. So, and it's like, I don't even like Harry really that much, but I don't know why I love that movie. I think it's because it's friendship and I, I'm a sucker for a friendship-based romance. It's why I like well, the black version really of Men Harry Met Sally Brown Sugar so much because apart from oh. the fact that it's just based on music, but it's just about friendship. And really, I feel like that's where the heart of romance lies, you know? I mean, that's interesting that you say that because I agree with you that all of my, the rom-coms that I like are the ones that have, you know, friendship as the contour. We're like, okay, these mm. people are, it's like, what's that? It's whatever that quote is. That's like, love, it's friendship on fire. Friendship on fire, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like a friendship is the, the you know what I mean I'm like it's the opposite yeah, actually it's the like, core I wish it. yeah, yeah. To friendship thank you yeah but um it's interesting I was like those are all the rom-coms that I like and they're the ones that I'll always forgive you know because I'm like okay there's a basis for friendship here but exactly. so much I think of this genre and specifically like romance not the rom-com so much of it sometimes omits friendship you know where it's exactly they're all about um you know and and that's why i think it's hard for me where i was like okay this is all about like one person has to submit to someone else and it falls along these like very gendered heterosexual also like very boring lines i was like do you know that sometimes people are not even heterosexual that's wild it's it just it makes me sad i think in a modern context because 
our our lives are so much bigger than that, you know? And I also think that it creates a societal pressure that is, it's so unrealistic and it's actually sad. And so it's why I love when you talk about friendship in this context, because I, you know, I was like, that is a solid basis for a relationship for most people, you know, whether yeah. you are romantically or sexually involved or not. I was like, friendship's a good, uh, it's like, that's a good tether to have with someone. And it, right. you know, it allows for a kind of like an entanglement that um, can be productive. Exactly. You want something that makes sense, which is why when I was um, writing about my characters, I would create my main girl and I'd be like, which partner would embrace her and elevate her and how would they interact with each other? How would they make each other better? How would they challenge each other? And also, do they like each other? Like I made it clear to be like, oh, the reason why they liked each other clear, because sometimes you watch couples or you read couples and you're like, I don't really get the connection apart from like the physical attraction. Like what else, what do they like about each other? Um, and so I really made it, I really wanted to make my characters partners so you could, and also I wanted to make, to, wanted to make romance kind of something that accentu- maybe accentuates the woman's life, but isn't the life. Like she has a whole thing going on and romance is just like something that she actively chooses rather than something that's like necessary for her. Um, one of the most I do gratifying- appreciate that about. I do appreciate that about the worlds that you build, that um, women have, um, they have jobs, but also other lives. You know, they're just other friends yeah. and the friends don't just show up um, to give advice one time and disappear. And that's the thing I think that rom-coms get wrong all the time, where yes. someone only ever calls on their friends because they have a crisis. There's never an actual hang. And I was like, okay, like, I, I like that someone is challenging this because that drives me up the wall. My friends are my, like, the, <laughs> the biggest romantic relationship in my life. Like, you, you know, you talk to these people all the time. I was talking to, like, one of our shared best friend, Cam, Camilla. Um, there was one day our where queen, we were, like, tweeting each queen, other. Truly. And then, it's <laughs> our queen, tweeting each other and then also texting each other at the same time. And, like, like just, there's just such a magic in friendships and romance in friendship in itself that it's it's wild to me that people think they can create like real believable romance without having that as at its core um and for me one of the most and also I didn't want to write romance as much as this is a book about love I didn't want it to be romance for romance's sake I wanted these Mm -hmm. women to actually choose it and desire it and um one of the most gratifying comments I've ever received about the book was from like I think she was like 15 I've been doing a lot of um like school zoom talks and she was 15 and she was said she said that what this book taught me is that like I don't need to have romance for the sake of romance it needs to serve me and that really meant a lot to me because as much as I am a romantic I'm not a romantic for the sake of romantic of the sake of being a romantic you know I call myself a pragmatic romantic like I'm not somebody who just does it like wants to go into a relationship for the sake of having somebody there you know it has to be it has to serve me so yeah that meant a lot to me really man I love um pragmatic romantic in opposition <laughs> to the hopeless romantic because yes. something I think that's really tough to negotiate in in modern society at least or in you know in the modern like feminist society that you and I are trying to live in <laughs> yes. that there is this idea that if you talk about dating or you talk about romance, that somehow, um, you know, you're a traditionalist or you are, you know, you're you, like, you're not a modern woman, I guess. And, yeah. um, and that, that, you know, like your romantic life has to be in opposition with your 
the ambition that you have for other, um, you know, like success in your life, right? Where you're like, okay, mm. I want to be successful in my friendships. I want to be successful at work and and all of that stuff. And so it's why I appreciate the pragmatic romantic, you know, because you are saying like, I, I would like this for this to also be an area of life that serves me, but it is not yeah. the, um, it's not the area of life that reigns supreme in my life. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like, you know, the romantic relationship isn't the prize. I think in, and obviously in a lot of the original stories, marriage was the goal. I think in my book, one actively rejects a proposal and one is like um, the guy said, as part of his declaration of love, he promises that he would never propose to her because he knows that's not what she wants. And that was really important to me for like romance to not just be the, stu- the substance of their life. Although obviously rom- romance and marriage are not something that are necessarily synonymous, but yeah, that's what, something that I wanted to dispel. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm thinking also about other areas that you have really, really challenged me or like made me think differently about, because you always joke about um, bride, pu- bride prices and dowries. Which yes. is- we're both, you know, like we're both West African. So it's a, yes. it's a joke that for me, it cuts too close. I'm like, no, no, my grandmothers were literally married off. And uh, yes. I, you know, I'm like, that's the, that's the kind of people that I come from. So, uh, you know, like shout out to my parents for breaking that generational hold, but you never know when you'll be dragged back into the, um, into the dark ages. But I, I think that I had always internalized, you know, like a, that conversation being so much about sexism and upholding patriarchy. And in, and in some ways it really is, you know, I was like, that is that like, that is undeniable. But I think that's Mm. something that you had also really, your writing and your work has really challenged me on is also thinking about, you know, how some of this is also saying that, um, you know, like women are special, you know, and that, you know, like there's a part of the bride price where you're like, this is really fucked up you know, the patriarchy of it all, where it's like, okay, a bride Mm. price and a dowry. I'm like, that is very messed up. It very much is. And there's another part of the conversation that's like, but do you know how much this woman is worth? Exactly. And I'm finding myself, I'm like a, when I tap into the, the, the Uber Africanness, (laughs) I made where I was like, you know, like that is, that is a complicated question to answer also. It is. you can hold all of these things at the same time, but I, exactly. I I really loved being challenged about that by you because I do think that it's more complicated than just like everything is sexist and everything is patriarchy. It was um, my mother that actually like helped me understand that because obviously when I was coming into my own and my own politics, I was trying to figure out like I'm a super, super, like obviously I'm a feminist, but I'm also African. And some of these things um, I don't agree with, but also I recognize, you know, how my mother was explaining the bride price to me, although she obviously, she recognizes that it's like selling women, but she was also explaining a different aspect to me. I mean, which is why today I'm like, I mean, I call my feminist African and complex because of course I recognize that it's, you know, it's viewing women as a commodity, but there's a flip side of it where it's like, um, it's exactly, it's about the value of the woman in, in a different way. It's about how this woman is special. It's about like, oh, this woman is going to be a blessing to your family. Um, so yeah, that's what, it complicated my feminism and, and it challenged my feminism as well. Um, and it's something that I wanted to share it in the book as well. Just like, you know, women are special and, and there's ways that we can celebrate ourselves, you know, within romance. It's so easy to be dismissive of, um, you know, like tr- like tradition, especially for yes. those of us who are, you know, like we 
we're in like this, this black diaspora, you know, and it's, it's so easy to just reflexively be like, no, no, the Western feminism is correct. And, uh, and looking back on an understanding, like, no, you know, also like, uh, women in Africa are, um, they would like their own agency and they would like to navigate Mm -hmm. their culture in a way that is culturally appropriate. And in the same way that I am challenged daily by living in Western capitalism, I was like, oh, this is what my mother and my grandmother also had to contend with, right? And so everyone does that work for them. And I don't have to agree with it. But it is important that I understand where they come from and not dismiss it as just exactly um, not having agency at all. Totally. And now it's nice, like, you know, when an African person or West African person is like a woman is like, you know, my bride prices up. It's about swagger. You know, it's about stating that you are the shit. It's about power. Um, and I kind of like that reclamation, really, because there's there's a part of it that it that kind of is that in a, in a really strange way, I think. Well, it's how my mother sees it or and my grandmother saw it as well. So, yeah, it's something that I like to carry with me. Just, it, it, it's a good way to challenge your thinking generally when it comes to feminism. I mean, um, making it a conversation about swagger is a conversation that I'm here for because, like, <laughs> I will say, your mom from afar, swagger unmatched. So, I'm <laughs> <laughs> concerned. He is queen of swagger, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's about, you know, look at me, look at what I've done, look at what I can do, you know. Yeah, I just, I just love, um, I, I love that. I love having like a complicated understanding of something that I'm like, I am really settled on my own belief about this, but it is important that I understand how um, how women around the world, but particularly like women who come from where I come from, feel about it. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I think that th- that's what I like about modern life in general. It's like, wow, like we're all we're all having these conversations and they're really hard and it doesn't have to be contentious either. You know? Yes. It doesn't, doesn't have to be black and white. And um, it really put me in my place because obviously when I was coming into my own politics, <laughs> obviously as like teenagers are and early people in their early 20s are, no offense if you're in your early 20s, but when I was in my early 20s, I found that I was automatically snobby and I felt very superior to anyone whose feminism did not align with mine. And that included, to my shame, you know, parts of my own culture. Um, and so I had to really reflect and be like, no, life is complex because humans are complex. Can you tell me what your favorite black rom-coms are? Because I am on a real, I am on a real kick only watching um, black people falling in love. And uh, it has been, it has been like very fun. Oh my gosh. I love Brown Sugar. I love Two Can Play That Game. Love Jones isn't really a rom-com, but I just love it because, (laughs) I mean, fair enough. enough. (laughs) It has spoken word which is and like the spoken word is like not amazing but i love it and it's funny to me so that kind of makes it a rom-com that's kind of my loophole um what else do i love i love anything with Gab- gabrielle union in it um what oh are and your i love basketball oh, feelings what are your love and basketball feelings so i don't think it's a rom-com and it kind of annoys me well it's not a rom-com and it annoys me people put it on rom-com lists 
it's like I watched it again recently. I just it's not my fave, and I have to say because I just don't. I just hate that she she like exerts herself to win the heart of a man. Like it really it really I mean, annoyed me that she had. I do boss. I you know she was like sweat, and then and then it was kind of he won, and then she was walking away all sad, and then it was like a bluff. I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I understand why people love about love it so much. I do think there's there's there are parts of it that I love, but it's just not. I don't know. It's, I think it's my me personally because I just can't imagine like breaking a sweat <laughs> for a man I, to I win a man's it. heart. <laughs> I That's the very so West much. African woman in me. <laughs> yeah, you're like, absolutely not. Um, yeah, I mean, no. I, I really wanted to know whether you thought it was a rom-com or not, because so many of my friends feel the same way. And then I went on the, I think it was like the Wikipedia for it. And it was like, a love and basketball is a romantic sports. <laughs> like the way that they qualified it was so funny. <laughs> it was like, a it's a romantic sports drama. And I was like, wow, the genres are... <laughs> like, like, that's a genre, <laughs> It was like the genres are really um, are splitting into into places that I had never um, I had never really uh, like considered. Are there also rom coms that you like where only one of the leads is uh, is a black person? I'm trying to think of that. I'm trying to think. Um, like that one with Anna Latham and the Mentalist. You know the one I'm talking about. Oh my gosh! Yes. Oh, something new. Something new. That's not, you know, I just recently rewatched that. <laughs> It's really on the nose, isn't it? That title. Um, I actually, yeah, that film is really sexy, actually, like surprisingly sexy. Um, I actually did like that one, knowing that, you know, it's kind of, yeah, like I said, it's very on the nose, but I think I did enjoy that one. My thing is like, I just don't want it to to be with the fact that black people need to be qualified by a non-black person to be like deserving of love and romance that film really wasn't about that so that's fine but there's some films where I'm just like I don't know this could have been like two black people like is it if it felt like they kind of was like oh you know I don't want two black people on the screen at the same time that's a bit intense um let's mix it up a little bit I'm I'm dying and that's a little intense (laughs) it's a little bit much there's one interracial film that I thought had potential was Hitch. It's just that, unfortunately, I do not think that um, what's her, is it Eva Mendes and Will Smith. I don't Mendes. think they had mm-hmm. um, yeah chemistry, which is weird because they are two objectively very very good looking people. But I just didn't. I didn't feel. I felt like I should love Hitch more than I do. You know. That's so funny that you say that because Hitch is the movie that whenever my I ask my straight guy friends which rom-com they like, <laughs> Hitch is the favorite, like across the board, all age group. Like it just, it makes no sense that all of them have really? seen Hitch. They've seen nothing else. And the fans of Hitch, like the male fans of Hitch, it. someone should do a piece on this. It is wild. But I agree with you that I was like, the, the romance is not there. And if anything, you're rooting for like Paul Blart, mall cop character in that, because that's where yes! the romantic yes! is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, actually Paul Blart yeah and Paul Blart I think that they probably drawn to like the bromance side of it as well it's a very it's a, I mean if you watch it as like a bromance it, it works they have chemistry it is I think that it's also a movie like from what I have gathered from my straight male friends is that it's a movie that just speaks to them but I also think that it's because it's a movie about men talking about their own vulnerabilities and that yeah. is that's also not um 
it's not always there. And so I, I think that that's what's going on there. But, you know, Hitch, like objectively a good movie, but I agree with you that the spark, the spark is not real. Yeah, like I could watch it and I have a generally good time because there are funny moments. But in terms of the romance, I was just like, I didn't feel the romance side of it. I felt the comedy side of it, though. Um, is there anything that you're reading right now that is particularly sexy or just good that you would recommend? Um, uh, well, obviously, I I mean, I didn't really recently finish it, but I love it. But it's not romantic, but I still love it. Luster by Raven Leilani. Obviously, I adore yes, that book. Yes, yes, and yes. it was sexy in a very surprising way. It was erotic without really being like romantically sexy, which I just thought was gorgeous. Um, in terms of romance, romance, I love reading Alyssa Cole books. They're so good because it's not just about the romance itself. It's about this really fully realized women who know themselves and know their voices and the men who are like completely powerless against not just like the physical attraction and it's they're very, very sexy books, but also the, the who the woman is is sexy to them and the vice versa and um they're she writes queer stories as well and i just love her books like i know when i'm picking up an Alyssa cole book i'm gonna i'm gonna have a good time it's one of those ones that you're like i stay it's been a long time since i've like stayed up reading that i'm like oh, i don't want to put this down or the Alyssa cole books like I, that was the one that i just recently did that like it was 3 a.m i was like no i just need them to bang on more time and i'll put the book down I mean, that's a high compliment. Staying up late to read a book in a pounded yam. I know. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. I've been um, since I was in school. Are you working on anything else that is, uh, you know, that we're going to hear about soon? I feel that you have a hand in a couple of things. And it's like, it's fun to follow you on Twitter. <laughs> and I say this as someone who doesn't tweet at all. You are one of the few people that once a week, I just do a drive-by. Because that is I, get, I get sent tweets. I get sent your tweets every single day. And now I'm like, guys, it's okay. I'm just going to go look at them. And truly, I don't have a presence on that website anymore. But yeah, I was like, you're, you're good Honestly, about that. Honestly, that's a high so honor because <laughs> you were the best curator of social media. So that means a lot to me, I have to say. <laughs> Listen, it's because the people like you make it easy. But I'm just like wondering, what else are you working on right now? So um, I'm working on two... TV things, which I can't talk about yet, but I'm super, super, super excited about. I love and this. I'm so excited. Um, like, thing is, as you know, corny as it sounds, like I call myself a storyteller because as much as I love writing prose so much, I love writing for TV and other mediums as well. And so I'm just so excited to be able to tell the kind of stories that I want to tell through this media that's medium that's um, kind of new to me, not really new to me because I, I used to work at the BBC, so I'm familiar with it, but it's new to the world, really. I'm super excited about that. Um, and they're going to be rom-coms. And um, the second thing or third thing is Honey and Spice, which is my new book coming out next year, both in the UK and the US at the same time, which I'm super excited about. And that is a college-based rom-com set in an ACS, which is an African Caribbean society um, in the UK. Um, and oh, I just love these characters so much. I was actually working on this novel when I got approached my editor for Loving Colour with, do you want to write an anthology? Um, and I actually said no, like three times to writing an anthology because I was just so focused on finishing this book. But obviously, like the idea was just too 
too tempting for me. And I thought it would be a really great way to get my kind of mission statement out. <laughs> this is the kind of things that I want to write. But yeah, Honey and Spice is like my my true firstborn. So I'm so, so geek for the world to meet my, meet my babies. <laughs> I love this. Bolu, this is so like, I'm excited. I'm excited. On a pure just like fan level, I'm like more Bolu, please. This is so oh. great. <laughs> Thank um, you. I wanted to ask about your research process for Love and Color because it occurs to me that it was probably, you know, like you probably had to do a lot of intensive research on these Yoruba folktales. And I, mm. um, I'm i just really curious about that because I think that a lot of writers do not talk about that part of the process when they're writing fiction, for example, you know? And um, and to me, at least, I was like, it, it just seemed like so much went into finding these stories and I would just love to hear more about it. Sure. Well, oh God, I love I love this question so much because I'm a, such a geek. Like I love love research. Like if I wasn't doing what I would I'm doing, I would probably be in academia um, because I just love research. So that was a really exciting process for me, just discovering because I am Yoruba, um, but I still needed to research it because I wanted to to understand my culture more. And Yoruba, I did ethique. I did. Um, Asian West African tribes that um, that are actually in Mali that don't exist anymore, but they're now modern in modern day Mali. Um, Chinese, um, Southern African, like so many. And for me, it was just such an exciting person getting to know the world and the different cultures and also the similarity in so many cultures. What was really fascinating to me is that, for instance, in my in my kind of research journey, I found that there was a story in South Africa that was very, very similar to a story that I found in China. And it, it really compounded the fact of like, this is why I'm writing the book, because there's so many connections within love and romance and how we've seen love and romance throughout throughout time. And it was just such an honor to be able to bring that about. Um, I, th- I saw stories of like similar stories of honor, of valor, of um, just, the, be- the beauty of connecting with someone. Um, yeah, it was just fun to be able to, to get to know different cultures how and how they see and use the, these cultures as a prism to see love and romance, you know? I love that. Um, I'm really glad that you did not end up in academia. No shade to, um, <laughs> no shade to, the, to the British, uh, to the British uh, uh, ivory tower. Um, yeah. <laughs> It was so nice to talk to you. Congratulations on the book. Um, I'm so excited to see all the other things that you make. Um, I'm sorry that your boyfriend, Michael B. Jordan, is with someone else, but I know know. that he will come back to you. I'm going to do it. (laughs) No, it's fine. I'm a Yoruba babe. I'll I'll recover quickly. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, have a great um, rest of your time in Lagos. And thank you for coming on Call Your Girlfriend. Thanks so much. It was delight, sis. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. Call us back. Leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. And you can buy our book, Fake Friendship, anywhere you buy books, but we are really partial to independent bookstores. 
Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. Our producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is executive produced by Gina Belvac.